Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons, Paul War, and Kate Forrester. Obviously, a slightly different show this week as we take in the impact of the tragic terrorist attack in Manchester on Monday, and we reflect on how politicians uh, decided to deal with this. Um, One of the big things that's happened in the past 24 hours is the fact that uh, the American press have got hold of some crime scene photos and photos of some of the bomb equipment. And let's have a quick listen, first of all, to Manchester Metro Mayor Andy Burnham with his concerns. Uh, but it worries me greatly, and in fact, I, I made known my concerns about it to the U.S. ambassador. Um, uh, it's not acceptable to me that you know here there is a live investigation taking place. Uh, we cannot have information being put in the public domain that's not in the direct control of the British police and, and security services. So that's a sort of hint of where we are politically as we record this. Um, Let's just sort of kick off by talking about the main thing was obviously the election campaign was suspended because of these attacks. Uh, first of all, do we think that was was that the right thing to do, Ned? Yeah, I think so. I think it's right that it's going to start again, but I think it's you can't you know you can't just campaign like everything is normal. I think of course it had to stop. Yeah, and the, the key question is how long it's suspended for. And I think three days feels about right for most people. Um, don't forget when Joe Cox died, there was a sort of three day unofficial agreement that people wouldn't do anything. Um, in terms of campaigning and then they, that was of course in the final week of the referendum when she was murdered and so we were really close to polling day uh, and even then there was three days allowed from, from both sides to say right let's just pause and start again I know there was talk of it being delayed wasn't there which would have been an absolute nightmare for everybody but yeah I think it's the period of time that they've decided on is, is about right I think The debates Firing up again in the general election, UKIP today launched their, their manifesto. Uh, one of the things that they did, Paul Nuttall did and Suzanne Evans did, was they were very, very clear to list the perceived failings of Theresa May as Home Secretary. And they pointed to police cuts, they pointed to cuts to the border force, all that kind of stuff. And here's a clip from a police officer from 2015 who uh, makes the point to Theresa May that he has left the force because he is uh, frustrated with the cuts and he has a warning about the implications. And let's just have a listen to that clip now. Unfortunately, um, I had worked in inner city Manchester for 15 years. I felt passionate about what I was doing. In 2012, I had to leave. I couldn't take it anymore because the changes that have been imposed have caused community policing to collapse. That's the reality, man. Intelligence has dried up. There aren't local officers. They don't know what's happening. They're all reactive. There's no proactive policing locally. That is the reality, ma'am. And uh, Mark Rowley just mentioned neighbourhood policing was critical to dealing with terrorism. 
we run the risk here of letting communities down, putting officers at risk, and ultimately risking national security. I'd ask you to seriously reconsider the budget and the level of cuts over the next five years. I mean, listening back to that now in the light of what's happened, is it understandable that UKIP decided to flag up Theresa May's record as Home Secretary, or is that trying to weaponise what's happened in Manchester? It's a, it's a question that was asked a lot of the press conference today, and the UKIP activists who were there were shouting down the journalists when they asked it. Is that a legitimate question, guys? I think it's a legitimate uh, question, obviously. You know, if, you're, if you are in a general election period... Of course, you've got every right to ask about people's record on policy. The difference with UKIP, though, is that I think everyone can see that actually it's not necessarily all about policy. It's it's about a wider sort of set of uh, concerns they've got about cultural concerns, social concerns, integration concerns. And it's almost as if they are exploiting that are in danger of exploiting this terrible atrocity at political ends. Now, and that's difficult. Uh, and I, I think there's there's a very, very fine line to be trod there. Of course you should, uh, and, and the Police Federation have done a good job during this um, period where politicians aren't, aren't allowed to sort of have a go at each other. The Police Federation were the first to say, look, these cuts could have had a real uh, impact. They and, and the very idea that you've got police... Um, giving way to cop to uh, the the armed forces on in in front of parliament is for the police federation you know a, a, a tragic admission that the cuts have gone too deep it's a long-standing fear isn't it from people it comes up on the doorstep time and time again for parties i think you know you never see your bobby on the beat anymore people um, always say that don't they people have these these memories romantic memories of you know you couldn't walk five yards on the street in all day without seeing I know I didn't know that accent yeah. now, without seeing the Bobby <laughs> on the beat. So, like, everyone always thinks it was better in the past and there's a in every corner, right? Yeah, it's true. But I think something like this obviously underlines the sort of unsafe feeling that, that many people still have. And, and they do. I think that is a reality. And it's not just about... I mean, you, you say it's nostalgic, but actually there was... Um, it's not Dixon of Dot Green stuff, this Bobby on the beat. It's, it's actually neighbourhood police teams, which is what, uh, under Tony Blair, Labour really pushed and under Ken Livingston really pushed in London as well, which is, you know, six strong neighbourhood teams who will go around an individual ward, get to know the people well, uh, inform various groups, build a relationship. And the whole point of community policing is building relationships. And if you're trying to get intelligence tip-offs, if you're trying to get anybody who thinks they've seen anything suspicious, it's much better having a neighbourhood team than having some sort of neighbourhood watch team of, of civilians doing this. And that's why the Bobby on the Beat thing, yeah, of course they're not. They're, statistically, it's proven, actually, it's much more efficient for them to be in cars rather than patrolling. But there are two things. One is, you know, visible a presence is what's quite reassuring for people but also it's that daily interaction with a community that actually can yield results in terms of crime and terrorism. Well I was working as a local reporter in uh, Hertfordshire and one of the areas we covered was Waltham Cross which is just outside London. I remember talking to journalists there after the London riots and they said that one of the reasons why the riots didn't spread to Waltham Cross and those areas, even it started to kick off a little bit they believe that it's because the PCSOs knew the area so well and knew the, knew the sort of troublemakers and were able to sort of nip this thing in the bud and this is not something which gets recorded anywhere on a bit of paper they did this. this is not, in a way, you know, you can't prove this was definitely it. But there was very much this sense that these PCSOs don't have the power of arrest, they're called plastic policemen, and they're off derived, they're off mocked, and they're seen as a low-hanging fruit. Actually, it's sort of, you can't quantify the, what they bought to this community on a bit of paper. But when you take it away, 
you know, I'm, obviously yeah. I'm not saying it's then to Manchester, but there is that that thing, isn't there? I mean, I just wonder at what point is it acceptable in the kind of political discourse now to start criticising the government's record on this? Clearly, the government have been in power for seven years, so. Mm. Yeah. At what point then do well, we start I, I, doing I it? I think it's, like Paul says, to be honest, it's fine. You think you should be able to criticise and examine what the government's doing. Is their approach to policing? Is their approach to terrorism? Is it working? Is it not working? Again, I think I agree with Paul. With with UKIP, there is this danger they look like a little, a little bit too... Bit too happy, bit too pleased to, about it. Bit too pleased about yeah. to criticise, yeah. um, which is a danger. And the worry there is as well, it means if they look too happy to criticise, it means you can't... The legitimate criticism then can't be made. Because then you look like you're siding with a party that looks like they're a bit too pleased about the criticism, and that's the, that's that why is a bit worrying. Especially today, Suzanne Evans said um, that Theresa May must bear some responsibility. She said, "When 9/11 happened, we should have had a serious rethink about immigration. It didn't happen. Well, this guy was British-born, so what's yeah. the, why you know it's, why it's, why the, it's the same it? as with the Westminster attack when yeah. you had Nuttall and Farage coming out immediately. This is about it's talking about immigration, talking about it's like well, he was." British born and it, it, the, the key the eagerness to immediately blame immigrants is so transparent that it's so damaging to actually solving any issue about communities and what's the real cause of this it, it's just I think it's really damaging I think the odd thing is the troop deployment I mean that that really is strange in many ways um, David Cameron drafted this plan operation temporary as it's called to to have you know up to 3,000 members of the armed forces on the streets. That's all of them these days, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but he never used it. And Theresa May uh, may well wanted to use it. And it looks like now, obviously, she's decided to go ahead with it. The, the real guts of the complaint from the, the police federation was, look, you shouldn't need an operation like that if you've got a fully staffed police service. They say they've lost 20,000 jobs since 2010. They're not all frontline. There are a lot of them back office jobs, which is why the Tories justify the cops, saying, oh, these are all, you know, pen pushers. But actually, the cops are saying they're not just pen pushers. These are analysts behind the scenes. They're people in a station you can come to to, to, to flag up a complaint. And I thought what was very striking about this week's uh, presence for the military in the House of Commons was just how symbolic it was rather than actual proper protection. It was all about the PR. It was all about the photo op. Do you think and it was? I really do think that because you could see one clue was the fact that you very, very unusually, you didn't have people from the same regiment in the same group. You had mixed regiments. So you had paras and you had guardsmen side by side. Now, that's unheard of in the military. If you've got an efficient, effective command structure, you have your people in your regiment with you, and that's it. Uh, you don't mix regiments. And it looked almost... I know, I'm not saying that they're, they're being cynical, but it, it was much more about the symbolism. And you might say that's, that's very powerful in itself. You know, sending out that message is really important. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that that just happened in London. GMP said there was absolutely no way that there would be army on the streets in Manchester, for example. So it's not, that suggests it's not a security issue. You know, but the security level's been raised, right? And surely if you raise security level that you must have a response to that. And uh, some people would say that um, troops on the street, it gives the appearance that you're back in control and it gives actual the, the fact yeah, that you've got appearance more Appearance is there, important, right? and I think that's the point. It is appearance. but And there's this, the secondary point, which is that they're saying that they're then freeing up armed police who can then go out and do other work. And in other words, having the army there doing their sort of 
day job of being sentries on important buildings frees up the armed police to do other things. I'm not quite sure about that myself. I'd, um, I'd be really interested to see um, whether people find the army on the streets reassuring or worrying. I'd really like to know what people think, particularly during an election as well. It's because some people might find that really comforting. You know, like, like we're talking about, you know, it's, it's the appearance of security. But that, you know, that, hasn't, that matters. But I wonder how many people also find it a bit unnerving that there's armed soldiers on the streets of London. That's not We're not used to that. I'd yeah. really like to know well, guys, what people think about that. To the, to the, to the listener, tweet us in. Yeah. No, yeah. seriously, generally, yeah, yeah. tweet us yeah. in because we, we see it in Parliament and, I mean, personally, I personally don't have a problem with it. I'm quite relaxed about it. Right? I know some people take the opposite view, but for me, maybe it's because I see armed police in Parliament every day, so for me, it's just somewhere in a different colour. It doesn't really bother me. But I know some people get very, very exercised about it and, like you said, and they feel this is symbolic of something which we don't want to go towards. So and don't forget, there are no MPs in Parliament at the moment. You know, wh- who are they protecting? They're protecting, us, protecting us, us and protecting the staff. That's fine. Well, you know what? But, in, you know, they're not protecting MPs or Prime Minister. And there was, uh, was with you, Kate, wasn't it? And there was a, uh, like a white blanket wrapped around the inside of the lift. And like I a thought, padded cell. Yeah, it looked like a padded cell. And I thought, mm. is this like really rubbish bomb-proofing? And then <laughs> someone said, no, because they're moving furniture. They don't want to the thing. That's but more I thought, like yeah, it. Yeah, so that was a bit bit weird. <laughs> and, and don't forget, the people of Manchester really did appreciate the heavy police presence that has been there since the bombing. It's been interesting. A lot of the anecdotal evidence and pe- Vox Pops have shown that a lot of the public have, have been reassured by the big, big police presence. So maybe there's a difference between that and having the military on your streets, certainly. We had the clip of Andy Burnham at the top of the programme there, uh, the fact that a lot of this, uh, a lot of the information has been leaked in the American press and there does now seem to be a real breakdown between what Britain is willing to share with its with its partners. Now it's funny, isn't it? Because Trump was always going on about how unreliable the intelligence communities were and a tendency to leak and we sort of dismissed it and now we're seeing it firsthand. Is that, I mean, is, is, is that a weird thing where Trump had a point? I mean, I'm not, you know, what do we think about this? It's um, It's pretty unprecedented, isn't it? The kind of action that's been taken, really. Um, I think it was very surprising to see it, um, and I think to I see don't the photos or to see the to breakdown see, to see the photos, um, and I think it's it's we've taken a step now which we've not taken before, and is that gonna how does that play out over the next few weeks? How does that play out with the rest of the investigation? Does that mean you know is it gonna hinder it? Um, I don't know. It's it's quite. I was quite shocked by by the whole yeah, thing I mean, really I think yesterday morning when Amber Rudd was on the Today programme you know publicly criticised mm. the United States for leaking details that's extraordinary yeah. for the Home Secretary to be publicly and openly and kind of willingly to, to criticise America and that was before this New York Times story with these pictures and it, it's it really is not a thing that I think I can think of happening before where you've got the British government saying we cannot trust our closest ally not to leak information about a very sensitive issue uh, it's I really? think they felt that it actually got out of control. They'd seen the leak, the initial leak of the fact that it was a suicide bomb, then there was a leak of the numbers of people who'd been killed, and then this on top. And I think clearly in Whitehall their, their patience snapped. And the local police obviously sent that as a warning shot. Now, it, the, the chief of police in Manchester has just been on air and refusing to discuss whether or not they will indeed share future investigative details with them. So it might have been a shot across the bows of the US rather than actually... Um, preventing anything being transferred over the Atlantic. We'll see. And this is something which Theresa May plans to raise with Trump at NATO. Yeah, and Theresa May's made it clear. Again, what is unprecedented is Theresa May actually going on the record saying that she will raise this and it's a very important matter. 
So you'd, you'd hope that that has reined it in. Of course, as journalists, we want to know as much information as possible. We like leaks, we like stuff. But, you know, it, what's clear is that the people of Manchester uh, had a very negative reaction to that. And the Manchester Union News refused to print the photos of that shrap the shrapnel, for example. Um, I mean, there was blood smeared on the floor. You know, if you're, if you're one of the grieving relatives, then you can see why that's very upsetting. I'm going to ask a really controversial question now, guys, and I apologise for it. is your middle I'm name. I'm going to ask anyway. Before this incident, a lot of the talk was about Jeremy Corbyn and his views, his relationships with the IRA and with, therefore, Irish terrorism. Does the fact that we've had this terrorist attack make those questions even more important? Will it be asked again? Will people look at look at Jeremy Corbyn's record with Irish terrorism and equate to this? You know, I'm not saying that they will, but I'm saying it seems to me that this is something which might be considered, or, or do we not think that? Am I, am I asking completely the wrong questions here, which is a distinct possibility? No, it, can, it can work both ways, can't it? I personally think, you know, look, it's obvious the Tories have been storing this up this stuff about Corbyn's past and the IRA, and they're ready to release it in the final weeks of the campaign. And we saw the beginning of it, ironically, in The Sun on Monday, where Blood on His Hands was the front page in the first edition before the explosion. And... It's obvious what's happening is that the Tories won't publicly say a lot of this stuff, but they will feed it to the media. There's no question about that. The question is, yeah. will they continue to feed I, it to the media? This is what, I, I'm, this is what I'm saying. I yeah, wonder if actually, way. like you say, they were going to do this stuff. I wonder now if maybe they won't, right. because I think maybe now it could backfire, because I think now it might look like they're going too far over the line with accusing him of, of being you know, an IRA sympathiser. So weirdly, it might be they actually dial it back a bit. It, it might I'm be totally wrong. We might, but you that, know, fast, forward, fast, it, fast yeah. forward a week, it might be that it's all back to normal and yeah. they're exactly doing what they were planned. But I, I wonder if actually they, they maybe don't do it as much. I think they can also just point to the way in which Theresa May has dealt with the aftermath of this attack. And that says a lot about, you know, how she, how she deals with security, how she would deal with something like this. And I think they can more easily point to her as having done the right thing in the wake of this rather than saying, you know... And I think that's very powerful. I mean, you know, the whole point of the Theresa May campaign is all about her sense of leadership, the strong and stable yeah. stuff. And, you know, you can't deny that she's done that in the last couple of days. Uh, she's been prime ministerial. Her response was pitch perfect on the actual the day after. Uh, and I think Kate's right. The, the, the longer term impression might be that, look, you know, she, she, she's doing the job that she, she ought to be doing. Keep, let's keep her doing that. The thing that Corbyn's people will find difficult is obviously a lot of voters have already been told about this IRA stuff. You know, it's out there. It's not new. Um, the question is how many more who weren't aware of it will become aware of it in the next few weeks. I'm not sure that any more will. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Actually, maybe had the opposite effect, the dialing back effect. I just, I just wondered in the optic of how it would happen, how that would continue. Now, obviously, before... The, 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 the terrible incident, you know, there was, politics was happening, right, and it's all been stopped. It's going to fire up again properly Friday, you know, that, there's a bit of local pain in today on Thursday. Uh, and, of course, the big thing of the week was this social care U-turn. Let's talk, let's get back to some pure politics here. Um, and here is um, Theresa May being quizzed on her U-turn. Doesn't this show that you are really weak and wobbly, not strong and stable, can you give us an idea of what the cap will be? 100,000? 200,000? Half a million? Don't the people of this country have a right to know what the cap will be? 
We have not changed the principles of the policy that we set out in our manifesto. Those policies, those policies remain exactly the same. There will be aspects of how this operates that we will consult on through the Green Paper. We were honest that we were going to have a Green Paper and that we would be consulting people on how the system operates. So, there, so Theresa May basically, in which launched the manifesto last week, said we're going to have a, a floor on what you're going to pay, but we're not going to have a cap on what you can pay for your social care. And this week she said, no, there is going to be a cap. How much is it? We don't know yet. I mean, this is, this is a hell of a U-turn. Right. Yeah, and her saying in that press conference, nothing's changed. Yeah. I mean, that was an extraordinary press conference. If you watch the entire thing, she's being asked very basic questions about why you changed your mind, and her even denying she changed her mind. It's ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous it how she responded. Curious, wasn't it? And you watch her react to these questions in kind of anger that how dare you suggest yeah, yeah, you change yeah. your mind. And I was like, well, but you have though. And don't pretend you haven't. And, Ger- and Jeremy sorry. Hunt, sorry, to like, no, it, no, no, it, really, no. it really makes me annoyed. No, Jeremy Hunt on the Today programme was like, we're explicitly saying, he used that word, in the manifesto, we're not going to have a cap because we think it's not fair. And then for four days later, I had to say, no, no, everything's fine. It's all the same. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. I, really yeah. I liked it in the speech. She goes, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's been putting around mistreats. Yeah. You're basically saying Jeremy Corbyn's made you change your policy, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is why the Jeremy Corbyn goes, look, we made to change our like, mind. He but hasn't been putting around mistruths. And no. if you're saying it's his fault, then also you're saying, like you said, he's Owen, <laughs> you, he's made you change your mind. But oh, that's why I think politics. Andrew Neil was brilliant in skewering her on, on, on Monday night before the horrific attack in Manchester. You know, the one thing that a lot of people were talking about was just how good Andrew Neil was. Now, Andrew Neil uh, will be resuming his his TV interviews. And as I understand it, I think Jeremy Corbyn's going to be doing one on Friday evening now. So things will go back to normal. And you, this brings us back to what you were just asking about the IRA stuff. I, I would be interested to know whether or not Andrew Neil raises the IRA past uh, with Jeremy Corbyn. Will he be as fearless as he normally is? Uh, will he think that actually, as a public service broadcaster, I can't go there? It's too soon. That'll be really interesting, actually. Um, he will be. I think, I think um, he he yeah. might do. I mean, he might think that people have just got legitimate, yeah. legitimate questions. And there are legitimate questions about how close Jeremy Corbyn was to the IRA and Sinn Féin. A lot of people in Manchester, um, you know, do remember the the massive IRA bomb. And I, of course, it caused devastation. Of course, there weren't any uh, deaths because they gave a one-hour warning on the phone. But, you know, that's th- there were still 200 people injured. There was mass devastation in terms of the buildings. It was a so-called spectacular, as the IRA used to have that awful phrase, we've got spectaculars. Um, and, you know, for many people who've got Irish roots in and around Manchester, of course, they, they had a real problem with that. Uh, as they did with, you know, Warrington and, and the, the poor boys who were killed there. Now, they were collateral damage. That was supposed to be another spectacular, only attacking, you know, buildings. But, of course, terrorism isn't that simple. And it'll be interesting to see whether Corbyn struggles with any of those questions. But, but on the social care stuff, I mean, how Im- does this damage Theresa May at all? Well, you yeah. were out on the doorstep, weren't you? And it seemed to play, seemed to play quite well. I was with a uh, Conservative candidate for Colchester, Will Quince, and we were literally going, we were going knocking on doors and on the response. And as we were knocking on one door, my HuffPost alert popped up on my phone saying Theresa May had done a U-turn. <laughs> so I read it out to him, knocked on the next door, and they say completely unprovoked, you know, we're a bit worried about this social care 
thing because they were an elderly couple. And he said, oh, well, I've got some good news for you because he's going <laughs> to cap it. So literally, and this, and this couple, oh, great, brilliant. I mean, they're going to vote Theresa May anyway, but it was really funny to see <laughs> this kind of like, this, it literally <laughs> had an immediate... cycle before within, your eyes. Within yeah. a minute, within a minute, Theresa But it May was policy. damaging. There's no question it was The fact damaging. is, it was brought up unprovoked and um, by this, this couple, so that showed that, you know, it sort of bled through a little bit. Well, cut through is what everyone talks about in politics, and that had cut through for the wrong reason for the Prime Minister. She had this safety first approach right up until their manifesto launched. Then the manifesto revealed itself to be, you know, half baked uh, and ill thought out and, you know, um, very few costings. And yet it brings you back to the, the essential p- political problem that Theresa May's always had, which is she's kind of robotic, she's brittle, she's got a very, very night, tight-knit group of uh, advisers, and maybe too tight-knit. They should have discussed this with other members of the party and, and the cabinet. I mean, it certainly wasn't stress-tested. If you look at it in the round, two of Theresa May's biggest domestic policies have been grammar schools and social care, and both of them have collapsed within weeks of them being scrutinised, in in the case of the social care policy, within hours of it being scrutinised. And that is a real problem because it makes you think, is she any good and and are in a team any good at drafting domestic policy? And when you're dealing with Brexit, it doesn't give you much confidence that, that they can deal with that massive challenge. But what I would say is that she does U-turn very, very quickly. She does. She did it over the budget. She's done it over this. So she's she's one of those people who seems to me to be able to go, okay, this is this isn't working. Abort, you know, get out. And actually that, okay, yeah, if you repeatedly do it, it's bad. I mean, obviously, but actually, if you U-turn quick enough that it doesn't have the cut through, yeah. that's... Yeah, she's she's, you don't have she's, five she's, days of sun front page bad, you only have two. Fair yeah, enough. she's and, curtailed the damage. That, you know, yeah, if she does it quickly. But then you kind of think, well, are you ever actually going to do anything? I mean, for good or ill, if you you know, if you're the prime minister and you've got an agenda, but if the the second there's any hint of, you know, this isn't working, you just change your mind. Then what's her prime ministership for? Like, what what's the point of Theresa May in a sense? If you know, if you think, well, actually, I'll, I'll back off. Why why do the job? Other than just to be there. But it brings us back to that point that that manifesto felt like a sort of green paper. It felt like a sort of a government that was just waiting to come back into office. Oh, well, we don't need to give you the full details. This is almost like a draft bill rather than a real bill. And and we can work out the details later. I mean, that's not what elections are about. You don't work out the details after the general election. You work them out beforehand. Do you think you're going to win a bloody majority? Yeah, I mean, Paul's right. It did read like a green paper. And... I guess, I mean, we talked about this last week, didn't we, that Labour put out a massive costing document, you know, very, very much at pains to say, this is how we're going to do this and this is how we're going to pay for it. And the Tories just basically, they don't need to do that, do they? Um, we're, uh, our series of focus groups continue to pace. Uh, what you, you did last week, didn't Paul? Where were you? Bury? I was in Bury South. Yeah, Bury which South. Which actually is now takes on a, a, a sort of poignant note because a lot of the victims in the, in the bombing were from in and around Bury. So what did, um, talk us through the focus group last week, what was the main topics that were discussed? Well, what was really interesting was these are lifelong Labour voters who are all tempted by the Tories now. And, you know, th- th- what was very striking was the women in the group. We, we did the women first and the men second. Uh, there was one sort of electric moment where uh, we, the focus group leader went round the table and said, how did you vote in the last election? They went, Labour, 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 Labour. Didn't vote, Labour, 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 Labour. And how will you vote if there was an election tomorrow? And it was Conservative, 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 Conservative. And the people who were saying it, particularly one woman, uh, a school teacher, Michelle, was so embarrassed at saying the word Conservative. She, 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 they were all asked to write down yeah, which party. Yeah, so no one can change and, based on what And, said, and yeah. she covered her answer with her hand. She was so embarrassed. Uh, and then she had to reveal it. 
And she was saying, you know, m my mum will disown me if she knows this. And the really interesting thing about that is it reminds you that politics is an emotional business as much as a rational one. It's about your sense of identity. And Labour, um, you know, s sometimes has forgotten that bit of the emotion, just as uh, the Remainers forgot it in the EU referendum. And just as, if, let's see what happens in Scotland. Um, uh, you know, that sense of identity and emotion is important. So we have a bit of a clip from the focus groups. Yeah, like just saying the family, my mum, I feel like if I uttered those words in front of my mum, she'd disown mm -hmm. me. And that, you know, it's instilled in you from. Yeah, it did. I was like, I, I couldn't know. even. Like, <laughs> Labour was working people. Oh, it's the working yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, think it's kind of the kick goes back to Yeah, I do. It is. And I'm a teacher, and Conservatives generally have always been. For the elite, you know, for the mm. I teach special needs, I teach kids who I teach research GCSEs, kids who've been deemed failures their yeah. whole life. So for me to even think about a party that has gone against everything I've ever believed in, mm. it is massive to have a Yeah, because I've sat here and thought, well, last time I didn't vote, I didn't particularly like Ed Miliband, but I was voting for Labour still. Yeah. Um, that's just through family and my dad, like most of us probably. Um, and obviously, a lot's, a lot's changed in the last four, four or five years. Um, Theresa May doesn't offend me, really, if I'm being honest. Not yet. <laughs> and as you said before the clip there, Paul, one of the people I spoke to in Colchester said they were going to vote Conservative. They said my dad would be spinning in his grave if he knew I was voting Conservative. So it's not me here time and again. Now, obviously, the Manchester attack, you know, politics stopped but there were still a few things which kind of happened and it kind of went under the radar and, and rightly so so if the attack hadn't happened what would we have been talking about this week Kate I think you've, you've got some good stuff here um donations donations party donations Go on. um the Tories have absolutely raked it in essentially um in the first three months of the year I think they took three times as much as Labour in donations and in the week um, this last week, is it, Paul, the yeah. latest one? In the last week, the second week of the campaign, they, they took in more than four times as much as Labour. And Labour are obviously taking in their, their usual chunks from unions. But interestingly, the Tories are taking in huge amounts from individuals, um, including one guy who gave, I think it was 30,000 to Theresa May's leadership campaign, has given something like 300 grand um, to the Tories as a whole um, in the first three months of the year, which is interesting. Um so yes, I think we would have been talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. More, absolutely. Um, and all the questions around that isn't there about you know people buying the election off and the stuff. Mm -hmm. And also the weakness of Labour amongst you know although it's got very strong membership base now and that's a source of income, support. but very few individual yeah. business people who are going to hand and over you that. You can cash. tell that from their fundraising emails. If you read their fundraising emails, oh, they God, send up party members. They're all very. You know, we need individual donations from all of you. Give us a pound. Give us ten pounds. Th their fundraising emails reek of that as well. Yeah. Well, isn't like, it interesting? And they, they try and make it like a, a to their, their benefit. You know, it just goes to show how difficult it is right. that that this great sort of um, ambition after the Obama campaign of crowdsourcing and funding from small donations, you know, which had great success from a massive audience. Um, it just shows that actually it's very difficult to do in practice. Jeremy Corbyn's massively increased the Labour Party and they've got a, a big increase in funds of membership. But when it comes to raising money on a regular basis, they still can't well, match the, money the they Tories. Got from that leadership they made, they made so much money yeah, from the leadership yeah. election. But I wonder if it's not really working now. And it is kind of amusing in a sense that you hear 
um, Labour talk a lot, at least the Corbyn side of Labour, about how they're emulating the Bernie Sanders campaign, or they want to emulate the Bernie Sanders what, campaign. Losing. But I was about to say, he didn't win. So every time I hear yeah. them say, we, we've got um, these experts in Bernie Sanders' campaign to help us do these things. Like, yeah, but he didn't win those. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and he didn't actually win the, the, the primary. The primary. It, so... If anything, Jeremy Corbyn can teach the Bernie Sanders campaign about how to win the primary. Like you don't, yeah. that's it, you're taking the wrong lesson. You don't also, don't forget that. Obama. He had big bucks, big, yeah, big yeah. donations from Hollywood, from business. Yeah. You know, you might say, and Sanders would probably would say, he was tarnished by some of that, you know, financial money. But, you know, the, the fact won. is that there's only one trade union, Unite, who are giving serious sums to the Labour Party right now. Anything else that, that we would have been talking about this week if it wasn't, wasn't for that? Um, migration figures and growth yes. figures. Um, so migration, net migration is down. Um, Woohoo, if you're Theresa May. That's yeah. not my personal view. But also um, <laughs> economic growth, GDP growth has been revised down by Ooh, 0.1 of a percent. I wonder if they're linked. So, well, you may well ask that. I am asking that, Yeah, Kate. well, lots of experts think that they are. <laughs> well, good. Um, and we like experts. We, we do, experts. we love experts. Um, there was a report out last week by a think tank who basically said that um, if the Tories stick to and indeed meet their target of um, getting net migration to below 100,000, then that's going to have massive implications for healthcare, construction, farming, who basically all of those sectors rely massively well, on it's EU workers. Well, it's a good thing that they're not going to meet their immigration <laughs> pledge then, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, because someone did a calculation. If they carry on, the migration keeps going down at the rate it's going, they'll meet it by like 2019. But th- th- that's the interesting point, as Kate was saying, is that you know there's an economic impact of that hitting that target. And what was fascinating in the figures today was the reason net migration's gone down is because net emi- emigration has gone up. So you've got not just EU people going back home, but you've also got a lot more Brits going into Europe because the eurozone stabilizing you know maybe they've got worries but it's come to something when actually it's seen as a, because of this way this target's constructed it's seen as a sign of success that people are leaving off. britain now that that was always the criticism of it by people like george osborne vince cable this you know business how could it be a mark of success if people are leaving your country yeah george osborne right oh here we go here we go i'm gonna say this i got nothing to say about mr right. george osborne right <laughs> So he's now at the standard and he's knocking out his editorials about, um, oh, yeah, net migration, what a terrible figure. You were the Chancellor, mate. Said, should have said something at the time. Should have yeah. really got involved. And there's another thing I want to say about George Osborne. Right? <laughs> Go on, let me... all this talk about, oh, you know, maybe the Liberal wing of the Conservative Party will join up with Labour and form a new party. People like George Osborne. Sorry, I'm sorry, George Osborne, right? Mr. Austerity is now seen as, like, centre ground, touchy feely. What is this nonsense about? It's, 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 it's the worst rewriting history and ever. What, it, what oh. this is, it's the... It's, Click this, John, it's, for the video bit. It's, it's people who aren't affected by austerity yeah. who see that George Osborne is a socially liberal uh, guy and they don't notice the effects uh, whether you think they're good or bad yeah. of his economic policies. So you look at George Bond, he's quite a nice affable man who's yeah, not, not some horrible socially right wing person and they forget the fact about, they forget the economics. This is, this is the guy who are affected by it, yeah, don't realise that. This is a guy whose team in the 2015 election literally were annoyed that Labour would lead a news gender one day so came up with a tax lock policy just, just for something to do. This just shows the way that they approach politics was just a game, right? And everyone goes, oh, good old George, he's all right now, isn't he? No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. 
He's doing some top trolling though, isn't he? Of you. Not, not, not applying for a job at the stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly working. But yeah. also, talking of Osborne, you know, what came out this week, and again, you're talking about what's been ignored or ne- rather not ignored, but neglected uh, because of the obvious focus on the, on the terror track aftermath. The figures came out earlier this week on borrowing and borrowing's gone up and yeah. the deficit gap's gone up. So, you know, Labour, unfortunately, under John McDonnell, haven't been uh, allowed to hit that hard. They could hit that harder. And we may, I'm told that next week is going to be a focus on the economy for Labour, believe, Labour. It not, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and there's going to be an, an, an attempt to get their economic message across. I'm just laughing at um, Owen's job application at the standard being shredded <laughs> right <now. laughs> And we also had the NHS deficit figures leaked out this week. Again, that's gone off the radar slightly. They're, they're, more and more trust in deficit in the red, which is you know an, another indictment on on the last administration. You can say, yeah, I'm, I, exactly. I'm not having these crocodile tears from George Osborne. <laughs> it's not having it. You took down Carswell Osborne, isn't it? Yeah, Carswell, reckless Osborne, <laughs> trio. <laughs> anyway, I've got that off my chest. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so there, was a, there was a lot of stuff there. And like I said it's a lot of stuff which in a normal week would have been quite bad news for the government, but for obvious reasons, I'm just kind of put to one side, but. Uh, everything will resume on Friday. I've listened to this, but I've already resumed. Um, so what will we, very quickly, you think Labour going to go in the economy next week? That's what I'm told. The yeah. Tories are going to keep going strong, stay blue, aren't they? They're going to keep it in that. And Lib Dems are going to keep running around trying to get attention. Yeah, if I was the Tories, you know, I would I would try and do something slightly different. I'd, I'd try and, I mean, I think they were going to announce a lot more cash for the NHS. So, that, But if I were her, I'd try and stick to that centre ground a bit more and try and pitch to some... Lib Dem voters, Labour voters, and reassure them, actually, you know, lend me your vote. That That's the most powerful message she's had so far. Lend me your vote. All right, then, guys. Well, we will, we will reconvene next week. Thank you much for listening. And, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, everyone has a good week. And we'll see you soon. Bye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.